Well, good morning, OneChurch.tv. How you guys doing? Fantastic. Also, good morning, Grace Life. You guys are amazing. Let's just, uh, if you're a One Church here today, can we just give it up for Pastor Carlos Serrano and Jamie and Grace Life? Um, so, uh, I want to say a welcome to a, a few people today. Of course, Grace Life, we want to say thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Also, if you're a first-time guest, uh, you're an honored guest here. So thank you so much for hanging out with us as well. And uh, if you're a VIP, our volunteers are very, very important. Uh, let's just give it up for all of our people who serve day in and day out. You guys are amazing. We could not do church if it wasn't for you. So I just want to say thank you so much. And if also want to do a huge shout out to our online campus as well as if you're watching from the overflow room. If you're from the overflow room, let me hear you. They're there. They're there. Okay, good. All right, very good. All right, sweet. Um, today, uh, uh, I am just, a, I am so honored uh, to have my good friend here, Carlos Serrano. Carla, you and I have known each other for how long? About eight years. Eight years. Yeah. Wow, that's a really long time for you uh, to know me. So uh, yeah. I apologize <laughs> yes. for that. Um, uh, and and how did we know each other? We go back to an old uh, AM radio station called WJZM. Yep. Spirit of Clarksville radio show. Uh, you were doing it before I was there. Uh, but yeah, about 2007, 2008. Uh, every Thursday we hung out. And every Thursday. It stirred, was fun, stirred wasn't it? the pot, made yes, a big deal did. about Jesus. And yes, we did. Now, some of you, you've heard WJZM uh, because of maybe another person now, Joe Padula. Jeez. So uh, Joe Absolutely. is, uh, man, what a blessing Joe is. And uh, he's usually here at the 1030 service. But if you're watching now, Joe, I'm going to say... Wow, uh, glad to have you. So um, uh, I tell you, Carlo and I, like I said, we go back about eight years, and we did a radio show called The Spirit of Clarksville. That was fun. It was uh, we would come in, and uh, and Carlo would be able to talk about some things. I'd be able to talk about some things. Sometimes people would call in, yep, yep. Uh, and that's fun. In fact, it was kind of a conversation. Basically. It really was. It was fun. And we want today yeah. to be a conversation as well. So behind my head, behind Carlos' head, is going to be a, uh, a phone number that you can text in any question that you would like to text in. Uh, today we are talking about a very difficult subject. Um, so I'm going to say this. Uh, uh, if you're here and if I say something stupid uh, and if Carlos says something important, which he will, um, uh, if you would just extend me grace and extend us grace. Yes. Because our goal today is we want to love everyone well. Um, so uh, we're going to do some question and answer, and then I'm going to preach for a little bit, and then Carlo is going to preach as well, and then we're going to uh, put a bow on it. So Try you, to. you yeah. ready to do this? Let's do it. All, let's right, do it. All right, so um, let's just kind of break the ice, and let's uh, uh, ask. I'm going to ask you just to uh, get straight to the point. Okay. Um, are you afraid of white policemen? Thankfully, not in Clarksville, Tennessee. Okay. Uh, one, I have a badge. Uh, I was an, I'm an assistant chaplain with the sheriff's office. Now, I've been on a sabbatical for about a year, but uh, it's my get-out-of-tickets-free, get-out-of-trouble-free. <laughs> sits in my, uh, in, right there in my hey, center can console. Can I get one of those? Uh, yeah, I'll hook <laughs> Sits in the center console of my vehicle. Uh, so, as, as a technically a, an employee of mm -hmm. the sheriff's office, I mean, that's what the badge says. And, again, I haven't uh, done any jail ministry for a year. But, mm -hmm. in all honesty, having that badge, uh, one, makes me not afraid. Mm -hmm. Two, uh, we have a really great uh, law enforcement community in Clarksville mm -hmm. um, and a lot of good, hardworking uh, people in our community. Our community is a little bit of that melting pot, not quite as much as it could be, mm -hmm. uh, but because of Fort Campbell, thankfully, you have people who are used to being around. And third, I just really grew up uh, with uh, an understanding of Romans 13. And in Romans 13, long story short, Paul says, listen, if you don't do the wrong thing, you don't have any reason to fear the police. 
So as long as I'm not doing the wrong thing, I don't have a reason to really walk around mm. in fear. So that's a long answer to a short question. Absolutely, absolutely. But, uh, One of the things that I have done over the past three or four weeks is I, uh, we invited um, some policemen to be up here with us as well. And, uh, I mean, they, they unfortunately had to deny uh, being up here. And the reason why I totally understand it is because that if they were up here, it would be like they would be representing the entire police force or their city or anything like that. But one of the things that I've spent some time doing is interviewing policemen. Uh, and, uh, and, Carlo, again, you're, uh, you're, in the, you're in both worlds of those, so I think you're going to be able to bring some great knowledge to this as well. I've also uh, spent uh, a lot of time the past three or four weeks just interviewing some African-Americans. Some people I know, uh, some people I don't. Uh, and uh, myself, I don't know if you know this about me, but I am not uh, black. Um, uh, On so, the inside, you are. <laughs> but, you uh, uh, well, but one of the things that I, I don't want to assume that I know what anybody's going through. So I've spent a lot of time over the past month asking a lot of questions. And that question, I just start out from the very beginning, uh, are you afraid of white policemen? I would say about 80 to 85% of the people I've asked, the answer was no. Um, uh, no, I'm not. Uh, there are some that's like, it, you know, sometimes it depends. One of the things that I sat down with a police officer just this past week, and he said, you know, there are, there are good cops just like there are bad cops, just like there are good people, just like there's bad people. Uh, who are a civilian. So, um, and one of the things that he told me, he says, nobody hates a bad cop more than a good cop. That's right. Because it, it really gives them a very difficult time. And uh, uh, so anyway, as we kind of go through this, uh, we're going to just have a dialogue. So make sure texting your questions, is it up there? That's per needs. It'll be in there in a minute. So, uh, so anyway, uh, here's another question. When you were growing up, well, tell, Carlo, if you would, Mike, because not everybody knows you. I sure. know you preached here at one church. Yep. Tell a little bit about your, about your story. So I grew up in Tampa, Florida, melting pot community. Uh, I am Puerto Rican on my father's side. I'm African-American black on my mother's side. So uh, growing up kind of biracial, you would think you had the best of both worlds. But uh, what happened for me growing up is I was not uh, Latino enough because I didn't really speak Spanish and my skin was kind of dark. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't Latino enough, but I definitely wasn't black enough because of the way I talk and my exotic name. And so uh, I went through my identity crisis, you know, Mm -hmm. fifth, sixth grade, seventh grade of who am I? Um, so thank, the blessing of that is I learned early on how to just be Carlo, mm. how to be comfortable in my own skin. And my wife also is biracial. So we both kind of had that same thing in common um, growing up. So in, in Tampa, Florida, race was not ever really an issue because everyone's there, so many different cultures. It wasn't until uh, the mid-90s I lived in Ohio for about eight months. My father passed away. We moved up there to be with some of my mom's family, and it was the first time I'd ever experienced what you would call just like old school 1950s Mm. Jim Crow racism. This is in the 90s in suburban Ohio. In Ohio. In Ohio. I'm Mm. talking being told go back to Africa, being called the N-word, being profiled, being picked out of a crowd because you're the dark guy and something bad happened, so it must have been you. I mean, I went through all of that, you know, as a a young guy. Uh, So that really shook me up a little bit. Thankfully, we moved back to Florida. Mm -hmm. Uh, But those experiences stayed with me for a long, long time uh, Mm -hmm. of of what it's like um, to have someone just look at the color of your skin and and make an assumption. I'll never forget one time here in Clarksville, I was doing a job for another church I used to work at, and we were going to the Old Leaf Chronicle building. I was Mm -hmm. uh, dropping off some press, you know, hey, we're going to run an ad. 
Um, and I parked in the parking lot, got out. At a, this church that I used to work at was a suit and tie church. Have you been to one of those before? This was suit and tie church. Got to wear. How many of y'all are covering <laughs> suit and tie churches? Yeah, right. Yeah, I did. Suit and tie church. Got to, <laughs> got to have to be in, in that. So I was there in my suit and tie preacher outfit, dropping off some press, and a guy in a Mustang starts yelling at me from the street, right there in front of the courthouse. You can't park there. And I kind of ignored him. Maybe he's talking to someone else. He's like, no, hey, you, you can't park in that parking lot. If you have a court date, you need to go park over there. Oh, my gosh. And I thought, man, a brother can't be in a suit in downtown Clarksville if I'm not going to court. You know, this is like 2007 this happened to me. And I was like, that's insane. So uh, it happens. Uh, but thankfully, I've, I, God's put me through some things at a younger age to deal with some of that knuckleheadedness. But it's real, really. Absolutely. You know, he called it knuckleheadedness. I know he's going to say this. A little bit later, but I'm going to go ahead and just bust the bubble here. Racism is a sin. Yeah, it's a sin. And uh, if you are gro- if you've grown up here in the South, it doesn't matter if your mom or your dad has taught you a certain way, or that's what your culture says. Um, on either side, whether you're white or you're black, if you hold animosity towards anyone else because of the color of their skin, uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But uh, it's a it's a sin. So, gr- as you were growing up, did your parents? Uh, ever give you a script that when you got pulled over, you're supposed to do blank? Yes. My father uh, very much so wanted us to always operate in respect towards everyone. So mm-hmm. this wasn't a uh, police-specific, hey, when the police pull you over, it was, hey, when someone in any type of authority is mm-hmm. bringing correction or when an adult is speaking to you, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, if you remain calm, cool, and collected and just do the right thing, probably nothing crazy is going to happen. Mm. But as soon as you raise your voice, as soon as you get an attitude, you're wrong. Mm. So uh, my mother was the type that she would defend me even if I was wrong. You know the type? Mm-hmm. Like she knew I really stole that candy, but she's not going to admit that to someone else. How could you? How dare you accuse my she's baby? She's your mom, right? When we no, get home, you know, that's a different story. Sure. But if she found out that I said something cross to that teacher, to that resource officer, or whatever, you can forget it. Mm. You know, it, was, it was game over because... Respect came first. I've had that conversation with my sons um, and really said it in the same way. Mm -hmm. If you know that you're doing the right thing, so Romans 13, Mm -hmm. you know truth and right is on your side, so you're not in the wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, Be respectful. Do the right thing. Be safe. That's all that officer wants to do is Mm -hmm. get home safe just like you do. So (laughs) if you go out of your way to let them know that you care about what he cares about, you're probably not going to run into uh, an issue. You know, uh, as I've asked this question to a a lot of other... um, 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 African Americans. One of the things that I heard uh, many times is their parents pretty much always gave them, "Do this, do this, do this, do this. Don't do, do this, don't do this." Um, uh, and I was amazed because I never got that talk um, from my folks. And I'll tell you a, a funny story in a sack. But uh, one person said, "You know, you never reach for your wallet. Um, that if a police officer pulls you over, you keep your uh, your um, hands on your steering wheel at like uh, eleven and two. Um, you don't make any sudden movements. Again, I never got that. In fact, I'll tell you, my very first traffic stop, that I, I was probably 17. Um, I was, I'm from Clarksville, so I, I, was, uh, I think I was speeding on Madison Street. You were speeding. Uh, trust me. Uh, just, just let me know. <laughs> thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyway, I was speeding on Madison Street, and the, and the police officer turned on his lights. I turned uh, right, uh, right by the Lutheran Church there. Yep. And, uh, again, I was scared to death. I immediately started crying because I'm that guy. Hey, I was 17 years old. Don't judge me. Um, anyway, I, I remember opened the, I opened the door and I ran out towards the police officer. Right? I, and I know I'm an idiot, 
right? Because again, I didn't know. I didn't know. Um, uh, and of course, the police officer, you know, that was a very sudden movement, and he was like, you know, he didn't pull out any gun or anything like that, but he was like, get back in your car. I mean, he was very forceful, again, because I didn't know. Um, so uh, one of the things, and we're going to talk about uh, some, what some of the police officers want you to do when, if you get pulled over or this or that, I uh, hear a little bit in this talk. But uh, I, like my son Walt, uh, he's 17, going to turn 18 this November. And the only thing I've told Walt is, you know what, when you, if you get pulled over, if you see the lights, make sure you're far enough out of the street so that you don't get hurt or the policeman doesn't get hurt. And that's all I've said. And, uh, there, and I'll be honest with you, that was, that's kind of light. Because most people, they give a script, and uh, I think that's, uh, that's very, very important. Because, and, 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 and because I'm white, I just, I, I've not thought about that, um, and I've not had to think through that. And one of our goals that I, want, I think Carlo and I really want to see happen is we want you that if, if, you're, if you're white, we want to be able to put your, your shoes into a police officer's, um, and we want to put your feet into a, uh, an African-American shoes and vice versa so that we can all know exactly what we're feeling. Because one of the things, I'm just going to go ahead and get, get to a quick, I think just our culture, we're just afraid. We're just afraid. One of the things I've, I've, I've uh, one police officer told me uh, three or four weeks ago is, you know, when, when we leave, we kiss our, our, wife, our wives and our children goodbye, and I don't know if I'm going to get back home that night. Uh, they are pulling their lives on the line every day. Uh, so there's that element of fear. And I think just, you know, when we see videos of what's coming out of Minneapolis and, yeah. and Louisiana and Baton Rouge and, and in, of course, Dallas and all the, the, the horror of the seven policemen who lost their lives, um, we're just, I think we're all afraid. In fact, even in our community group on Sunday nights, we're studying a new study on fear because with ISIS and let's just be honest with you, with the presidential election coming up and all of this stuff, there's just a lot of people that we're running for the hills and we're afraid. And I think uh, one thing, I think if God was here, he would tell us, you know what? Love casts out all fear. Sure. Um, so, so let me ask you the, the, another question. Why do you think there's a difference? Why are sometimes blacks treated differently than whites? What would your answer be for that? Uh, I think you're hitting it right on with, when you're talking about fear. Uh, I think fear, ignorance, not knowing what's going to go on. There's a very unfortunate statistic that perpetuates this cycle of fear. Here's the statistic, right? Most people incarcerated in the United States of America are brown. Now, that doesn't mean all brown people are criminals, sure. but most of the convicted criminals are brown. So that creates this logical thing that we don't get. It's kind of like with uh, Muslims, right? Most terrorist acts that happen on planet Earth happen by people who are a part of the Muslim faith, right? But we would not dare to say, well, every Muslim is a terrorist. We know that's an ignorant statement. Sure. But we can't reconcile the two. Mm. Wait a minute. All the terrorists that are blowing stuff up are Muslim. All the people in jail are brown. All the people committing these types. So what happens for law enforcement then is, well, most of the people we've convicted and caught are this color. So that fear leads you to, well, if anyone is going to steal something in this room, wow, might be the people. You know what I'm saying? So it creates that terrible, even though it's not true, it creates that thing. And it's all based, again, in that fear. Because then what happens is... You start profiling based on what that statistic is telling you, whether it's true or not. Sure. And so growing up in a black community, then you learn to fear the police because you think that they're out to get you mm. because they're going to your community where they assume that's where the crime is going to happen. So it just creates that. So I think that's why you see that difference. A lot of times it's just based on that 
ignorance, based on that fear, based on that unfortunate statistic, all of those things combined, sure. I think, lead to that difference in treatment. Wow, okay. Um, what went your what went through your mind this past month? When again, I, I don't have I don't have television. Um, I have a TV, but I don't. We don't have cable or anything like yeah. that. So I remember I was on Twitter, and um, and somebody I think it was Matt Chandler posted. You know, this makes my heart sick or something like that. I'm like, well, what makes Matt Chandler's heart sick? So I clicked on it, and I saw um, the uh, the African American male uh, who was bleeding to death in his car, his car yeah. and I just started crying. You know, when you when you when you saw that video, when you saw the video with the the guy who was selling CDs, and then of course the seven officers that were killed, what went through your mind? Uh, kind of like you, the, just the pain and the shock of here we go again. Um, kind of where I was sad and sick with myself is that I am so desensitized to that coming from that community, that being a part of my reality. Uh, you're so desensitized to, here we go again, it's just nothing new. Uh, I actually was more upset with the collective response. Mm. That's crazy. What was like, the collective I, response? I, I, I described that. Yeah, I found myself more angry at how people responded to it than the fact that it actually happened. Mm. Uh, the collective response is just more division and more hate. Mm. It's finger pointing. Well, if he would have just done A, B, C, and D, then he would. What a, what a callous thing to say. Like, can we just weep with someone who died? Mm. Like, the fact that we wouldn't even be sad for five minutes sure. over the fact that a human being, like you, your first response is, this is heartbreaking. A man is dead. Yeah. Uh, whereas I saw so many people in the social media world uh, who their first response is, well, shouldn't have, that's what you get. You shouldn't have. Isn't that terrible? And, and we might not ever say specifically, well, that's what you get. But when you see someone die and people in outrage, and your first response is, well, if you would have done what the police... That's basically what you're saying, mm. is, well, that's what you get. Mm. You deserve to die because you didn't follow a command. And that's such a jump, and that's such a callous uh, perspective to start with. I think you can get there eventually, but to just start with that... is sure. an, an illustration we use talking about dealing with homeless people. You see a homeless guy, he wants a sandwich, he's hungry, Right. If, if you know anything about homeless situation, you're, you probably would think, well, what they need is a job and they need to maybe get rid of whatever life-controlling habit they have. And that's all true, but he still needs a sandwich. Mm -hmm. And I would say the person who died, they still need our empathy and mm -hmm. our, yes, there's a bunch of other things that compound the situation. Sure. But can we not, just as humans, be collectively sad? Absolutely. And, and I, I can't stand that we collectively jump to the division, to more hate to no. more anger, to more politicking, to more finger Because that doesn't solve anything. That solves nothing. In fact, that feeds our own self-righteousness. That feeds our, this, this insatiable desire we have to want to be better than mm -hmm. everyone else. To rise above the situation, I have to dehumanize you. Mm -hmm. Well, you're the fool that was speeding, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. instead of, oh man, that's I was that's a, I was a fool who was speeding. <laughs> but you know what I mean? <laughs> I did not. We, we, we jump to that dehumanizing first yeah. instead of empathy. Absolutely, absolutely. We've got uh, tons of questions, so I'm just going right, to go ahead and start it. getting uh, some. Um, what is your opinion uh, on the increased violence involved in today's civil process, pro protest, such as Milwaukee, as opposed to those of the 1960s? Mm. That's a great question. I don't think there is an increased violence. Mm. That's the big thing. Okay. We have increased access to information, mm. and, and that's what troubles people in black communities is that this is not a new phenomenon. Mm. Police treating, police targeting, beatings, deaths, it's not new. It hasn't really dissipated. What we have now is 24-7, 
media access to sure. it. So the more I'm aware of it, the, it seems like everything's there. We're familiar with that part of our brain that creates new mental categories for us to remember things. Right. So you buy a brand new red car, all of a sudden, hey, everyone's got a red car. Mm-hmm. Well, no, everyone doesn't have one. You're mm-hmm. just more aware of it. Yeah. And so because we're being bombarded with these protests sure. and these, this civil unrest, mm-hmm. it seems like, oh, wow, this is, uh, there's a lot more of this happening. Hmm. Um, so I don't think it's an increase. However, I do think that it's, it, it, what it amounts to is kind of a fit, a tantrum of sorts. Hmm. When you're sick and tired and sick and tired of not getting your way or sick and hmm. tired of injustice, when we crawl back into who we are just as fleshly humans in need of a savior, that's hmm. what we do. We're just going to explode with rage. So it's disgusting behavior, police being murdered, and hmm. that's just sickening behavior. And and damaging your own community and setting mm-hmm. your own community on fire, like that's the most illogical thing in the world. Sure. But I get I get it because I get where it's coming from. Absolutely. I don't excuse it, but I, I, I get where it's coming from. Okay. Terrible place. Um, I'm going to skip ahead. Uh, uh, 1967, uh, during a lecture, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Uh, many white people, including me sometimes, uh, when we see stuff that's happened like over the past month, we're silent over social media sometimes because we just don't know what to say. Uh, Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail, and I don't know if you've read that, uh, Dr. King uh, was incarcerated in Birmingham uh, by a police chief named Bull Connor uh, back in the uh, early 60s. And uh, while he was incarcerated in that jail in Birmingham, he wrote a what we now know as Letters from a Birmingham Jail, and he wrote it to priests and pastors and, uh, and religious people, the religious community, the leaders of the religious community, because they were saying nothing. Yeah. And that frustrated Dr. King, because one of the things that Dr. King talked a lot about is if you can't preach the love of the gospel without talking about injustice. And uh, uh, when it came to the Civil Rights Movement, that was a very popular thing now, we see. But when he, when he started shifting over to the Vietnam War, uh, he, I mean, uh, that made Dr. King very, very unpopular at the time. But uh, Dr. King w- writes to white pastors, my heart is broken. I think, what if that was my son? And if you ask that question, what if you think that was your son? So as, you know, a, a church that uh, our churches are together, and praise God, we're in the South but you and I, we lead a multicultural, yes. diverse churches, and I praise God for that. Yes. Um, what do you think, what would you have liked to hear me say or us say over social media when you saw those acts happen? Um, I would have liked to hear more more language that, like you said, we want to put you in the shoes of someone else. Um, a true understanding of the problem. Instead of throwing the stones, instead of arguing why this is going on, just that call for, wait a minute, let's put the shoe on the other foot. What if that was your son? What if that was your, you know, what if, what if you were in that situation? Just, again, getting outside of ourselves and connecting with the humanity of the situation. I think more than anything, that could, would have made a bigger difference in how we responded instead of everyone just immediately jumping to the two sure, sides. Sure, sure, absolutely. Uh, I'm going <coughs> to uh, shift a little bit. I'm going to... Uh, 
give you some quotes from what a couple of police officers have told me. And then uh, I was going to, I think I was going to preach first. I was going to let you end it. But I'm a little worried about time, and I want to make sure that you get some time preaching. Oh, so I'm probably going to have you go to Galatians, and then I'll, okay. uh, if there's any time left over, um, I'll talk. Um, but uh, by the way, can y'all, isn't Carlo, isn't he amazing? Can y'all just give it up for no, this dude? You guys, amazing. Your wife is so much better than you are. She um, is. So, uh, just like my wife is. So, anyway, uh, this, let me give you some quotes uh, from what a couple of police officers told me. I asked the question uh, when, uh, to one police officer this past week. When you saw the video coming out of Minnesota and Louisiana, uh, what immediately went through your mind? And one police officer told me this. The, the one from Minnesota made me cringe. Um, they said this. The only good reason a police officer has to pull a gun is if there's an imminent threat of death or injury to the police or to someone else. And that video in Minnesota made me cringe because the officer looked scared. And that goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning. I think everybody is just scared. But and my friend told me this. He says this, be careful judging a short clip of a very long encounter. I think that's very, very important because many times, and the media is really bad about this, they just want bad things to happen so that they can people can tune into them. So I think some of this problem is driven by the media, and they need to take their ownership as well. Yep. Um, but remember, we're only, we're only seeing a small clip of a larger encounter. And again, my friend said this, no one hates a bad cop more than a good cop because you're associated with them. And uh, so uh, one of the, another question I ask, he says, as a police officer, what would you want to say to the average person out there about your job? And this is a quote. I became a police officer not because I wanted to shoot people. I became a police officer because I wanted to help people and make a difference. That we're all husbands, fathers, brothers, and sons. We're normal people who just have to be hyper-vigilant. And he said, our, he goes on to say, our goal is to have an encounter with no force. And this is interesting. You probably know all about this, and you can give us a... I says, okay, so when you say force, when you enter into a situation... You know, talk to me about how everything escalates and stuff. And he says, the number one thing we want to have when we walk into situations, we want control. We want to control the situation. We have to give a level of so a force above the level of resistance. So um, a nine times out of ten, he said, just our presence as a police officer will control the situation. Uh, from presence, we go to speaking. We use words, and we ask people to do something, then we tell people to do something, and then if they don't do that, then if that doesn't work, we make them do something. At that point, uh, they have permission to use the manhandle people. Um, they uh, they want to control the situation. From there, it escalates. You know, it goes from that doesn't work, tasers come out. But it, my friend says tasers really aren't a fix for anything. Sure. He says a lot of times um, uh, if you try to tase someone, if there's not a good connection, You've already drawn something out. If they have a gun, again, that level of escalation just rises. And, uh, and then somebody can get hurt. And, and uh, one person uh, told me this, a different friend, uh, said this, that um, the last thing we want to do is to draw a gun because when we draw a gun because of our training, generally it's going to get used. It's not going to go back in. If it comes out, it's not going to go back in. But that's the last thing that they want to do, it seems like. And as they want to control the situation, but as things escalate, the response levels escalate. So anything you want to add to that? Because, again, you, you, you've been on the force. I mean, you have that, some of that training. Give us some insight on yeah, that. I never, I never did any patrolling, stuff like that, so I couldn't imagine being in that situation. Uh, as a soldier, obviously, we get put in situations like that. When I was in the Army, you know, you, you were 
training that same type of stuff, especially going being deployed and not knowing, you know, what to do. What was uh, your MOS? If you know uh, what it, it was not a an infantry combat MOS. Okay, okay. Uh, it was a in the rear with the gear MOS. Nevertheless, okay. by the way, y'all noticed I just used an Army acronym. Good job. Correct. Drop the mic. <coughs> I'm going to go back to my father. But uh, this, the current war that we're in and that we've been in for these last couple of years, it doesn't matter. A couple last decades, sure. uh, it doesn't matter what your MOS is. You get in a convoy, you're all doing the same thing. Sure. Uh, but the point is. It, the de-escalation that the officers you talked about, that's exactly the same things that my father taught me, mm-hmm. is you de-escalate. You don't let it get to that situation. Mm-hmm. Even if the officer is hot and heated, if you're respectful, yes, sir, no. If you don't allow the button to be pushed, usually the situation uh, resolves itself. I've not watched a lot of the videos um, just because it's sickening, just because mm-hmm. I don't want to feed myself on that. But of the things that I've watched, you do find one common theme. It's that neither wants to de-escalate. Both sides typically mm-hmm. keep pushing forward, keep pushing forward, keep pushing forward. And when you're in dealing with law enforcement, they have the right. Mm-hmm. You know, they're on the right side. So mm-hmm. it's not their job to take a step back and calm down. It's usually the other person's uh, role to calm down. But it's, un- so it's Say that sad. one more time, what you just said. If they're on the police officer's side, they're on the... The police officer has the right. They're the authority. Okay. So it's... Even though the police officer wants to de-escalate, as soon as the other person gets just a little bit hype, it's not the police officer's job to say, oh, well, hey, sir. It's no. It's to respond to, all right, mm-hmm. calm down. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the burden is going to be on that suspect, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, okay. to control themselves and their emotions okay. at that point okay. uh, because they're giving the police officer no okay. choice. So basically what you said is they have the authority. I mean, the reason why I, I'm, 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 I'm playing with words here is, you know, you said they have that right. And I think in every, uh, my friend uh, who we met this past week, he showed me a couple of videos where he said, you know, that police officer was wrong. So not every police officer is right. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have the authority, um, uh, but that's one of those things is uh, they, uh, you know, and as my friend said, you know, there's videos everywhere. Um, You know, if you have an issue with the police, you know, you can report them and it'll always be on the file, this and that. But there are sometimes, I'm trying to remember exactly what he said. He says, many times a cop, a police officer, has to make a split-second decision between life and death. And then everybody else is an armchair quarterback to be able to have comments about it. And he showed me this one video of, uh, you know, this uh, police officer uh, had to use a weapon, and he bust into tears afterwards uh, because this impacts them. Uh, it impacts them. So uh, I'm going to uh, uh, get a couple of questions, let's and then it. I'm going to get you, uh, So you go ahead and go to Galatians, yep. but we've got tons of questions. So um, let's uh, uh, dig into this. Thank you guys for interacting, by the way. Is expressing feelings about police racism shootings on social media outlets doing nothing for the tragic situations, or is it necessary conversation that needs to be started? What mom told us is still true today. If you cannot say anything good, shut up. <laughs> That's good. So we know the w- there's there's a, a market out there that's already telling us everything that's negative. So there's already media outlets. There's already people. And you sharing that meme, you sharing that video, you adding your two cents to it does not help the conversation. Like you're not the special person that all of social media is, oh, well, Chris said it. No, everyone's saying the same thing. So what you what we do is we're just adding to the noise. Mm. When we throw our two cents and our opinion, well, I think this, and well, they should have done that, and we're really not helping. This is how we help Mm. the situation. This is how we help the situation. Real humans interacting, 
sitting down together, breaking bread, getting in each other's lives, mm -hmm. that will do way more than clicking like and share on Facebook. I agree. I agree. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, another question. Uh, how do we get, go about getting this message out beyond our two churches out of this movie theater? Uh, I, I, my hope is we, we, uh, we kind of set the stage for other churches to do this. Mm -hmm. What I'm not interested in doing is walking around holding signs. Uh, I, I think sometimes marching in that nature in today's culture is mm -hmm. just, and, and it, it, this is going to sound harsh, but I'll, I'll take it if people are offended. That's kind of an empty gesture. makes me feel good. Yay, look what I did. I marched for justice. And then you go back to your division. Mm -hmm. Until people do stuff like this, mm -hmm. until churches in our community become intentional, whether it's merging, whether it's sharing, splitting pulpit time, whether yep. it's saying, you know what, there, in Clarksville, Tennessee, there should not be a church that's mm. majority of one color exactly over another. Right. Not in this city. Exactly. Uh, now, out in Adams, that's a different story, right? But <laughs> in, in the city limits, right? <laughs> right hang on. You know what I'm saying? And, and no person from Adams was offended during this message. Of okay, course they <laughs> Of course they weren't, right? But you get what I'm saying, right? In, in, our, in our city... With this mix, we shouldn't yeah, have that. So until we become, like, seriously intentional about sure. it, you know. You know, one thing that bugs me is uh, I'm a student of the church. It's one thing I'm working on in, in my last bit of schooling. Uh, I can't stand looking at a big, fancy church, wherever they are in America. I always go through, read the website, see who's the staff. It bothers me that the only black dude is the janitor. Mm. It bothers me that the only person of color on that big, massive church in sure. Atlanta, in Dallas, wherever they're at, and the only minority on your paid staff mm -hmm. is the head of your facilities. That's code for the guy that cleans stuff up. Sure. Um, I just don't understand how we could sit up on a Sunday and preach Jesus is Lord and the gospels for everyone and be in a diverse community and know that I'm not intentionally taking the steps as a leader to, to model that. So I think what we're doing is saying we're going to put feet to our faith uh, and we're just going to do it. You know, you know uh, a, a friend and a mentor of mine that I used to work with, his name is Dr. Tony Evans. I used to work in his ministry, The Urban Alternative. Um, and one of the things that Dr. Evans used to say is the most segregated hour of America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And uh, growing up here in Clarksville, um, I grew up in a, a predominantly, uh, it was an all-white church, to be honest with you at the time. I'll never forget. Uh, I was probably maybe 9 or 10 years old, and we had our first interracial couple come to uh, our church. And uh, the deacons escorted that couple out. And I remember being so angry, um, uh, being just crying about that. I, I, I live over, I used to live over on Edmondson Ferry Road. Uh, all of my friends were African American, as you know. I, you know, I, uh, I, I mean, I, I just, and, and I, I would invite them to our church, and then they would come to our church, and they would be treated poorly. And I remember, even as an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, thinking, you know what, if God ever called me to the ministry, I want to start a church in the South that weren't, just wasn't filled with white people or African Americans, but everybody is invited, yeah. that everyone is included. I know that that's my passion. It's my heart. I know that's your passion yes. in your heart. Um, so uh, let's get a couple more questions and then go to town, man. Preach for us. Um, what is your opinion of the people who stir the pot and blame a bunch of people for shootings on social media? What's my opinion of the people who stir the mm -hmm. pot? Uh, I think we've kind of answered that already. It's, okay. it's foolishness. You're, you're not helping okay. uh, the situation. Okay. Um, we say we are one church in Christ. So why, as Christians, do we separate ourselves by color? And what kind of example are we setting for our city and our children? That's a great point. Uh, and that will get right into do it, Galatians. So, uh, by the way, I just set it up. Now you spike it. Yeah, I'm going to try. Uh, 
the, the underlying issue of this division is, as Christians, we allow ourselves to have qualifiers before Christian. So we mm. become a Republican Christian, a Democratic Christian, a Baptist Christian, a white Christian, a black Christian. And there's no room in the New Testament. There's no room in the Gospels for us to do that. We are all one in Christ. You know, we're in Christ. And so that division um, absolutely comes from our, our sinfulness. Our, that, again, we want to be right. That self-righteousness that always fights against us. Um, so uh, that, that's, what's, what was the question again? There was, I, um, yeah, uh, <coughs> let's see. Uh, uh, we say that we are one, in, uh, one church in Christ. So why, as Christians, do we separate ourselves by color and what kind of example are we yes. setting for our city and our church? What kind of example is, is what I wanted to touch on. I think if we're not careful, we will lose the capital as the church to speak about race issues because we are setting a bad example. For example, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, the church did a terrible job dealing with uh, homosexuals, with sexual immorality oh, in America. Right. They we, did do they a did terrible a job? They did a terrible job, terrible job in addressing that issue. And so we lost that battle. It, it's too late now. You know, we lost that battle. It's the way of the world. You know, gay marriage is here in our country. And the church lost. All. Why did the church lose its credibility? Because the church was so flip-floppy on marriage and sexuality in general. And, and let me just say this. The reason why we lost our credibility, we, we, we were saying, okay, what does a biblical marriage look like? And we were attacking people, but we were having rampant divorce rates. Yes. And we weren't saying anything about that. We weren't saying anything about a divorce rate. We weren't saying anything about divorce and remarriage. We weren't saying anything about infidelity even. You, it was just crazy. We, were, we would quick to forgive, oh, the guy that cheated seven times, but... Or the guy who looks at pornography. Or the guy that looks at We were quick to forgive that. So we lost that capital. So now you have, on a Sunday morning in Clarksville, Tennessee, you can drive around right now, and you're going to find churches in the inner city of our community that are 100% African-American black church and 100% white church. Like you could throw a football and hit these churches, and they're mm -hmm. that close. And then we wonder why we aren't making a difference when it comes to racial diversity because we're not modeling that. Mm -hmm. Again, we're the church in a big city, and everyone that's getting paid on staff is white dude. Like, you're, so we're gonna we're very close to losing the capital. Let's say that, so we're setting a bad example. Um, in Galatians, Paul addresses a lot of issues in the letter to the Galatians. It's a really cool book in the Bible. Uh, essentially, what Paul is trying to get this church to know is: don't let anyone trick you. You're free in Christ. You don't have to go back to following the Jewish religious law. Um, and you're going to share a little bit from Acts if you can get there. <laughs> but in Acts chapter ten, right? Jesus shows up and has this encounter with his buddy Paul and basically says, excuse me, his buddy Peter, mm -hmm. and says, Peter, stop calling things unclean that I've called clean, right? right? Stop calling things unclean that I've made clean. Basically, Acts chapter 10 is a turning point where the gospel is for everyone. Like, that's one of my favorite. Up to that point, it's, the gospel was for who? Up to that point, it was just those select Just Jews. the Jews. Um, and really, it was for everyone before that, mm -hmm. but they weren't acting like it. Sure. They still were doing their... It, it, it looking just for Jewish people. So anyway, fast forward, and Paul uh, writes this letter to the, the church of Galatia, and he's explaining to them all these issues. Um, and Peter uh, is brought up in the this book of Galatians. It's pretty fascinating. It's pretty fascinating that Paul mentions Peter uh, in there. Paul runs into Peter in a town called Antioch, and this is after Acts 10. Mm -hmm. So after Peter is already aware the gospel is for everyone. everyone. Yay, the Gentiles can, right? Gospel's for everyone. Nobody's Pe unclean. No one's unclean. Mm -hmm. There is no more division. 
We're one in Christ. Paul runs into Peter in Antioch, and guess what Peter is still doing, Chris? Mm. Being a racist. Galatians, so, he, he, the, so he wasn't magically... He didn't just magically overnight change. start, right? Mm. So it shows that for us to overcome a lot of these issues, it's going to take grace, it's going to take a lot of time, mm. and it's going to take loving brothers and sisters in Christ to call us out mm. on our nonsense. And that's what Paul does in Galatians 2. He calls out Peter mm-hmm. and says, you're wrong, man, you're being a hypocrite. You know the gospel's for everyone. How come you're acting this way around this group and acting this way around another group? That's messed up because wow. people are copying you. Absolutely. Stop it. Yeah, it was this awesome rebuke they made up, by the way. Spoiler alert. They, they still were buddies at the end of the story. Um, so in the next chapter, Galatians 3, Paul says this. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Mm. This is not the elimination of race. So people who say, I don't see color, I'm colorblind. To me, that's just as ignorant of a statement as being racist. Because we do have differences, and we need to appreciate those differences. Mm -hmm. Um, This is not an elimination of race. This is not an elimination of gender. There are still roles for men to play, Mm -hmm. roles for women to play. This is not an elimination of that. And let me say, there's a difference between unity and unanimity. Yes. You know, unity is we recognize our differences, but, you know, we're under one cause and one, uh, one Jesus Christ. Yes. We are together. Unanimity says, no, i got to be just like you, and yes. you got to be just like me. Yeah. And nobody wants to be like me. I can understand that. <laughs> so there, and this is not a, this is really key for us. This is not an elimination of sexuality. Well, the Bible says there's no male and female. Come on, don't be crazy. That's not what he's saying. He's saying... When it comes to the cross, mm-hmm. when it comes to salvation, how we're viewed salvifically, big word, in God's eyes, we're all, we're all one. So essentially what Paul is teaching us is that racism is sin. Even stereotyping, which is just the socially constructed word for judgment, judging people, right. it's sin. So when we say yes to Jesus, then we have to say no to hatred, no to division, no to... To, uh, we say at Grace Life Church, we would rather be right, righteous than right. Mm. We always ask that question. Do you want to be okay. righteous or do you want to be right? Do you want to win a person or do you want to win an argument? And we try to frame so many That's things good. through that. When we say yes to Jesus, we lay down our right to be right. Mm-hmm. And I'll say this. One of the things that we say at one church, very similar. You can either make a difference or you can make a point. Yeah. And so many times, Christians, we just want to make a point, and we want to win. We want to win the argument. But really, at the end of the day, you can win the argument and lose influence and not That's make a it. difference. And so accepting the grace of God, which we all want to accept, right? We want to say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. It obligates us. This is huge because we're a freedom church, right? We don't like rules, man. Don't tell mm-hmm. me what to do. Well, when I accept that grace, it obligates me to mm-hmm. share that same unmerited favor with everyone, and that really brings us to the big idea of our message today. Saying ahead, yes, saying yes to Jesus means saying no to racism, to hate, to division, to to fear. Even mm-hmm. we talk about fear a lot. You know, yep. it's the number one command in the entire scripture. Do is not fear. To fear not. That's right. To not exactly do it. Right. I won't make the logical leap and say that fear is sin, but I will say God said don't do it. Mm-hmm. So if God said don't do it, and I'm choosing to live mm-hmm. in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as my wife would say, I need to have a talk with Jesus and, and, <laughs> and fix that up because I'm not Absolutely. where God would want me to be. Absolutely. Uh, Acts chapter 10, I, I'm going to get two verses in, um, and then we're going to close. You know, uh, he had already mentioned, Carlos already mentioned about um, Peter 
and it's 15 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the church has been around for 15 years, and Peter is still struggling with racism. And, uh, you know, he's thinking, okay, Christianity's for everybody, but it's really more for the Jews, because God loves the Jews more than anyone. That was kind of his mindset. And in uh, the first century church's mindset, red, yellow, black, and white, they were all not precious in his sight compared to what the early church thought. Until uh, God shows up to Peter and confronts him with his racism. And uh, in this, uh, he, uh, God says, I want you to go, and I want you to go, and I want you to meet a guy by the name of Cornelius. He's a Gentile. And by the way, a Gentile is just somebody who's not Jewish. So uh, he's not Jewish, a Gentile. He is a Roman officer. Uh, and the Romans, they were kind of like, uh, almost like a terrorist, terrorist organization at the time because they were an occupying force. So the Jews did not like them at all. They hated the Romans. Um, so uh, God is saying, listen, I want you to go to somebody you hate. Uh, not only you hate because he's a Roman, but you hate because he's non-Jewish. He's a Gentile. And um, uh, Peter goes to the house of Cornelius, and this is what Acts ten twenty seven says. While talking with Cornelius... Peter went inside. So I think maybe like Peter's get, he's got to the threshold of the door and he kind of takes a deep breath because he doesn't want to breathe in all the Gentile germs, if you would. And, uh, and, and, and he says, and found a large gathering of people. So Cornelius has invited his whole family, all of his friends, all of his neighbors, and all of these Gentiles are there, and they pack into this house. And listen to what Peter says out loud. I mean, you're talking about something that was a politically incorrect statement. I mean, this is the beginning of the conversation that Peter has. This is what he says in verse 28. He said to them, you are well aware. Everybody say well aware. Well aware. Well aware. That means everybody here knows that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or even visit a Gentile. And he says it's against our law, but it really wasn't so much a law found in God's word. It was more, this was more, uh, this is how my mama raised me. This is how my daddy raised me, and this is, you know, we don't, we don't consort with people who are Gentiles. And, and, I mean, that's his opening remark. Imagine, you know, if, if Carlo, you invited me to your house, and I said, you know what, I don't, I'm not going to go to a house of somebody like you. How, I mean, you, you would punch me in the mouth, Probably. and you should. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, Peter is just being a total, what's a word that I Be can careful. say in church? I know, Be he's, careful. he's not being nice. Was that good? Yes, yeah, good. Oh, good. Yeah. Right. I saw it. Right? <laughs> well, I saw it too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, um, and where there are many words, sin abounds. All right. So, <laughs> so somebody should just pull Peter aside and listen. You don't say that out loud. But listen to what Peter says next. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure mm. or in unclean. And, and, and again, at that point, if I was Cornelius and some of the Gentiles, I mean, God had to show you that? Like, really? I mean, that still doesn't infuse me with confidence. Uh, it's almost as P Peter is saying, God told me this, but I really don't believe it. I'm still struggling with it. And we found out that he really still struggled still with struggling. it. still struggling. Right? Um, but let's look at this verse again, and let's change the emphasis. But God has shown me. So in other words, God showed up to Peter, and Peter finally understood it. God had to expose something inside of Peter for Peter to get it. And that's our big idea today again. That saying yes to Jesus means saying no to race and racism and division and hatred. So uh, as I close, I just want to say that I want us, if you would, I want you to pray that prayer. I want to challenge you. Now throw 1028 back up there if you would. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Yeah. What I'm asking you to do is for you 
whether you're African-American, whether you're white, whether you're Latino, whatever that looks like. Um, uh, Puerto Rican, you said you're Puerto Rican. I think we have some Puerto Rican folks here today. Um, Whatever race, whatever culture you're from, ask yourself the question, is there anything in my life that God needs to burn out of me that's sin? So, Carla, would you mind praying for us? Sure. Thanks, pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your grace. We do. We thank you for saving us in spite of our junk, in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of uh, all of the baggage we bring to the table. You demonstrated your love by showing us uh, that you're for us by sending your son. Yes. And so, God, before we do anything else, I just pray that there's a person in this room who's not walking in that grace, who hasn't received that or hasn't, hasn't said yes to you. This would be that day that they say, yes, Lord, forgive me, help me, I want to follow you. God, I pray that you would touch our hearts in a way that would stir us to compassion, that we would see the hate and the division that's going on in our country, and instead of wanting to jump into it and make a bunch of noise and add to the clutter, God, we would say, save us. Save our country, and that starts by you saving us. Save me. Cleanse my heart. That's right. Help me to walk in love. Yes. And I know as we do that individually, God, you show up and you change us all collectively. So thank you for your power. Let it start with us today. This wouldn't just be a fun service, but yes, we would God. take this message yes. of hope and love and unity in Christ outside of this building and make a big deal.